The Start. On Demand. On Demand. Mackling looking sharp today, all snazzed up in a suit. What's the occasion, sir? Oh, well, today is the launch of the 2020 edition of the Mega Million Choices Lottery for St. Boniface Hospital Foundation. The Mega Million Choices Lottery in support of research, patient care at St. B. And fortunate enough to be one of the spokespersons for the lottery. So we're launching that today. So I apologize in advance for the barrage of television commercials <laughs> with, oh, stop with, it. With, my, with my mug on them uh, coming up uh, over the next uh, 10, 12 weeks or so. Do you change the channel when you see them come on or do you watch? No, I can't watch. Do your I kids watch? watch? <laughs> I can't watch. Um, yeah, they do. They think it's kind of funny. And then they get annoyed after a while. Yeah. Dad, it's like you're always in the room. It's annoying. Yeah. Trying to get away, they're trying to get away with something. They sneak an extra snack. Oh, oh yes. There's Dad. Yeah, and I get text messages all the time. You're really ruining this hockey game for me, Mackling. <laughs> get off my television. <laughs> so once again, I apologize in advance, but I will not apologize for for caring so much about St. Boniface Hospital. It means so much to me. Uh, my boys were born, of course, at St. B, the NICU. They were there for almost a month. Uh, my grandfather took his last breath in uh, St. Boniface Hospital. And then, of course, I've... Uh, maintained uh, that uh, St. Boniface Hospital may have, in fact, if they didn't change my life, they may have saved my life along the way. So uh, lots of lots of, lots of aspects uh, to be grateful for, for St. B, and uh, not just for me, but for so many in our community. And for me, my dad's still in intensive care, intensive care, cardiac surgery. He's been there since last Thursday now, so they're taking wonderful care of him as he gets better. So, yeah, the uh, website is saintbmegamillionchoices.ca. There are seven grand prizes to pick from, including 1.2 million cash and including where we're going to be, where you're going to be, and I'll be later today. And uh, it's at 651 Bridge Lake Drive. Did I don't I know that? if I would. Did I don't I know if that I would. Correct? Yeah, I don't know if I would trust no, my GPS do not use your I'm trying GPS. to find that house. Use your homing instincts. Yes, uh, that that's the uh, only downside to, to that grand prize house. <laughs> Follow the smell of bacon. Yeah, but that's good because if you can't find it now, that means you won't have unsolicited people just kind of popping in on you once you win the house. <laughs> so there's that advantage. <laughs> I always look forward to these lottery launches and just make sure you follow 680CJOB on Instagram and me at Brett McGarry on Instagram because if there is a big bathtub in that house and there is I will find Brett in it. I will get into the tub. I always test the bathtubs mm-hmm. to see if I can fit in these tubs because well, I'm a big guy. It's become well, kind of a game. Tall. You're a tall man. It's a game for me. I like to walk through the house. I, I notice Brett's gone. I'm like It'll be a bathtub. Brett's in it. Which bathtub will it be? And then I wander around until I find Brett either in a walk-in closet testing things out or the bathtub. Yeah. So I I love going through these houses, so I can't wait to get down there. And I know, Loren, you can't wait for the cold to go away. It just got here. Well, (laughs) you're right. I just said a few minutes ago, I can't stand this cold anymore. And Greg said, come on, man, it just started. But I don't know. The last couple days back and forth where you kind of get that reprieve, but it's not long enough to enjoy. So yesterday coming into work, I was like, it's not so bad out here. And you particularly feel it at four in the morning when it's dark and you're the only one out and you're coming into work. And then I around noon yesterday, I went outside and I thought, what the heck just happened here? And then someone in the grocery store was like, oh, the worst is still to come. And then I was done. I was done with them. Just before noon, it it switched, and it went from being somewhat pleasant to being just nasty, and then we had a little bit of snow yesterday afternoon, so... I guess uh, Kayla Evans will tell us later on this morning how cold it's going to get. Yesterday but, afternoon actually turned out to be kind of a lovely day. Like I went to my dad's no. to show In the, the afternoon? Snow. Wrong. Yeah. Where were you? I was in Transcona. Where's your dad live now? He's in Transcona. Yeah. I was, yeah, it was around I 2 o'clock. snow yesterday. Is Transcona warmer than the rest of Manitoba? <laughs> is there like a bubble? Maybe Brett is just more resilient than no. the two of us. It like was now. freezing yesterday. Well, it afternoon. was cold, but it was it was calm. It was sunny. It was it was I was maybe it's just because it was sheltered from the wind. I don't know, but I was quite enjoying it as yeah. I was shoveling the snow. As Tuffy. we speak, people are googling properties in Transcona. <laughs> it's warmer there. But looking at the map here on Environment Canada's public weather alerts. 
uh, northern Manitoba, parts of western Manitoba, almost all of Saskatchewan, all of Alberta, and a huge chunk of BC and part of the territories all under extreme cold warnings. So it could be colder. Here's something we don't get to say often. We don't have it so bad. (laughs) So after 8 o'clock, we're going to talk to our friend David Phillips out of Environment Canada because it's not just the cold elsewhere that's colder, at least for now. There's all sorts of, like, Vancouver has about 0.2 centimeters of snow. They can't handle it. Toronto's all wet. The East Coast, like, people are, the amount of snow that's dropped over Newfoundland and parts of the East Coast the past week is unbelievable. So if you're looking for that silver lining... Not so bad. Did you see the video of the gentleman in Vancouver shoveling his front sidewalk with a folding chair? Because <laughs> he did not have a shovel. <laughs> really? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'll try and get that out on my Twitter account well, in the next uh, 15 minutes or so. Well, was it two years ago there were I, uh, the salt wars? Like they couldn't get enough salt, yes. right? To The snow came. They were caught off guard. People were golfing. And then the next day... Covered in snow, they couldn't find enough ice for their sidewalks. I was listening to Drex on the overnight show, uh, overnight shift with Drex, and he was saying the other day that he keeps several bags of salt in his basement. Like every time he sees them on sale now, he just he's a hoarder. He's salt hoarding hoarder. them just so. Like I don't know if his plan is to sell them for ninety bucks a bag at a later time. But oh, that'd be a good business plan. They were dropping the the salt at the fire stations and community centers, and you could go and help yourself. They, eventually, they had to have supervision over how much salt people were taking. So, see, there are differences everywhere. Sometimes we have to realize how good we've got it here, even when it sucks. And coming up at 6.45, we're going to have a conversation about whether or not non-smokers should get more time off. This is uh, based on something that's happening in the United Kingdom, right, Greg? That's right. There's a company in the UK who's decided to give non-smokers an extra four days of vacation Per year. Now, I, what I want to know, what I'm concerned about is, is everybody going to go narc on one another <laughs> in terms of, hey, I saw Loren have a cigarette. Well, what would it, it, I think she should lose her four days of vacation. It would be the smokers that would have to be the narcs. Why is that? Well, why would, what, unless you're just not a nice person, well, why, would, what I'm suggesting. why would you out me? And by the way, I don't smoke, but say hypothetically, you're already getting your four days. What's it to you if I get my four days? Have you not lived in society for the last several years? <laughs> are, people, are people that evil that they care whether one of us gets more days off than the other? Of course and they does, do. Here's a question. Does vaping count? Uh, because well, you're a vapor. Is that smoking? Maybe you get two. Maybe you get half. I don't know. Yeah, that would be interesting. I'll have to double no. check if, if vaping was included in. Uh, we're in their going policy. down this mean row. You're out. You get no vacation days. See? No vacation. See? Greg's narking on me. I'm. You're out, Brett. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, we'll have that conversation at six forty-five. But text us two zero four seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight. Should non-smokers get more vacation time? We want to start this half hour, Loren, with the flu. And it's not something you often read in an obituary, but for the second time in just a matter of days, we're now telling you about another young Manitoban who's lost their life from what appears to be complications from the flu. Here's how her obituary reads. It was with absolutely shattered hearts that we announced the setting passing of Joanne Enns in the early morning hours of January 6, 2020. She had battled a case of the flu since New Year's Day, then had a bacterial infection in her body that she was too weak to handle. Joanne was just 24 years old. She just married eight months ago. Her husband, Dustin N., says this nightmare all began January 3rd when she went to that walk-in clinic with those typical flu-like symptoms. And by January 6th, she was in the emergency room in Boundary Trails, which is near Winkler, waiting to be airlifted to Winnipeg. Uh, They were planning on taking her to Health Science Centre, but they were already full. Uh, So then they were trying to determine where they were going to bring her. Um, but they had trouble stabilizing her for flying. Um, and by the time that they had her stabilized enough, they had to determined that they would take her to St. Boniface Hospital in Winnipeg. Uh, they flew her there, and I followed in the truck. Um, and a few hours after I arrived there, she uh, passed away from septic shock. So you went from Friday going into a walk-in clinic with flu-like symptoms to Monday being airlifted to the hospital. That's how quickly? Yes. And, and what kind of symptoms are we talking about that she was feeling? Um, aches and pains, uh, fever, so kind of hot spells and chills uh, alternating, uh, sore throat, 
uh, cough and labored breathing. And and they've confirmed to you, Dustin, and I want to say I'm, I really appreciate you walking me through this because I can only imagine reliving it over and over again. It's not something you want to be doing. But to hear this makes me think of all the Manitobans who may feel something like this and wonder, well, what am I supposed to do, right? Or what should I what should I do? So was there any pre-existing conditions or was her immune system previously compromised in any way that you know of? Not at all. She was completely healthy. We don't have definitive results on what it was. Um, the doctors are certain that it started as influenza B and it is suspected that she picked up another infection uh, while fighting that and the two infections in her body uh, went septic. So I spoke to Dustin last night and he says his wife was a woman of great faith and we will share more about her life later in the show around 745 But Dustin also wanted people to know that he and his wife hadn't gone for their flu shots this year. Uh, We had not yet. We had talked about it and intended on doing it in January if it was still available. And what's your thoughts on what difference that could have made, if any? Uh, My wife would still be alive if we had gotten the flu shot and made the time to do it. And he was adamant about that. That's one of the first things he said when he called that that's the one message he wanted Manitobans to hear that he really believes to be alive today if they had gotten the flu shot. We know it's not 100% effective. It doesn't always work as it should every single year, but it is that thing that can help prevent you get from getting the flu. And we learned this week that as of the end of December, only 22% of Manitobans had actually had their flu shots, which is actually about 2% more than the same period last year, Greg, and apparently normal for yeah. for our flu shot for what we do every single year. Yeah, that is a, sort of a normal percentage of the population to receive the flu shot. But uh, let's face it, we're hearing from WRHA, from the different hospitals, that this year is different. It feels different. You heard Dustin say that when they were making the decision to fly his wife to Winnipeg, they had originally looked at HSC, but... The ICU there was full, and we've heard that from the different authorities. The flu has many hospitals at capacity this year, and the painful, heartbreaking lesson some Manitobans are learning is that it does kill not just the elderly or the vulnerable, and I think that's the most difficult thing for a lot of folks right now, Brett, is the idea that younger people are being are being killed by this. I was stunned when the nurse at the hospital said that uh, young, healthy people in their 20s die from the flu uh, every year, and it's happening more and more. I confess, this is I got a flu shot this season. It's the first time, I think, in a decade, mm. because we used to get flu shots here at work. They'd bring someone in to do it. And so then, it was easy to do, like you didn't yeah. think about it. Yeah, but then when, then when it became uh, available at pharmacies and whatnot, uh, they stopped doing it, and I just stopped getting it. I figured, wow, whatever, I haven't had a flu since I was at like five years old, I mm-hmm. think. And uh, But... I never would have thought that it was something that could potentially put my life on the line. It was the one comment I heard. I was in a grocery store yesterday, ran into someone I know, and they said, oh my gosh, did you hear about that seven-year-old? Got off the phone with Dustin last night, and again, he's 26, his wife's 24. They've been married eight months. Uh, and my husband said, what, what was that? Tell me what happened there. Like, what was the phone call about? And I shared with him, and he said, how old again? And I said, 24. And the, the immediate reaction is, what? Because you just, you have this assumption. And so, as we were telling you yesterday, it, it has also taken the life of that Winnipeg teen. Here's Joe Scarpelli. The smile is what classmates at Kelvin High School will remember about Blaine Rupenthal. Very, like, happy and, like, laughing and stuff, which is good. I always see him playing, like, video games on the computers. The Winnipeg School Division says Rupenthal died after complications from influenza A. The grade 12 student was rushed to St. Boniface Hospital on January 7th after suffering cardiac arrest twice, his family said in a Facebook post. Cass Adams worked in the resource room with him before he got sick. In the hallways too, you can feel it. It's just like a different vibe. That was like really shocking and that's a lot of things that like me and my friends are talking about that like you don't hear about like teenagers. You hear about, like, older people. Health officials would not comment on whether the teen had any pre-existing medical conditions, but say the flu does kill people who aren't considered high risk. Unfortunately, uh, we do see um, uh, less commonly healthy individuals with severe outcomes uh, related to the flu. Rupenthal was supposed to graduate high school in the spring. Joe Scarpelli, Global News.
sort of highlights the fact that there are so many things in this life that we know are good for us and that we believe that we should do. But if it's a matter of an extra stop or making an appointment or going out of your way, you won't do it. I know, Brett, I'm in the same boat as you. I think about a decade removed from my last flu shot. We both got flu shots. Why? Because they did, they did it in studio with us. A doctor came in and we, was, we were demonstrating how easy it is. And yeah, I was trying to remember, where did I go to get the flu shot? <laughs> they brought oh, yeah, it to they you. brought it here. So once again, the flu shot came to me. I didn't go out of my way to get a flu shot. And you hear that all the time. And again, I've, it's like we're not alone. We fell in the same category. Uh, Dustin and his wife, 24, 26 years old, they're likely, I don't want to put words into his mouth, they were thinking about it, right? Talked sure. about it over Christmas once they started hearing all these outbreaks of flu, thinking, oh, maybe we should go get ours done. And I will say that I'm super grateful for him to talking to us and to the family of the Kelvin High School team because at the very least, they're sharing, A, the life of their the loved one that they lost is powerful for all of us to hear. But then that that message about just the, what the flu can do. We don't know whether or not uh, Dustin had his flu shot, or sorry, rather the Kelvin teen had had his flu shot. But we do know that now because of them sharing their story, the impact the flu can have, which once again is, I think, startling all of us. Mackling, McGarry, McNabb, Jeff Braun is here, Kelly Moore is here, producer Kyle is here. Here's the headline at globalnews.ca. UK company gives non-smokers four more vacation days to promote healthy workplace. And this is a, a company called KCJ Training and Employment Solutions in Swindon, which is west of London. And in their Facebook post, they say... Our new non-smoking policy starts 2020. Cheeky cigarette breaks are a common feature of all office environments. So as of right now, all of our non-smoking office staff have been given an extra four days holiday per year. We are proud to incentivize our staff to quit smoking and create a healthy workplace within our KCJ offices. I think it's a great initiative. Uh, anybody that doesn't smoke is obviously going to be excited I'm moving about to Swindon. <laughs> <laughs> I think the bigger conversation is, is this a good idea? Does it make economic sense for a company to take this approach? Take yourself out of it. And the idea that you would be celebrating for extra days as a non-smoker. But in terms of, of an incentive, do you think it'll work, Kelly? Well, I, I think it works on an individual basis. Now... If you take our company, for instance, uh, if you, most people here, if you gave an extra day off, you'd have to bring in somebody to cover for them. So there's a, there would be an extra cost there. And uh, if you start multiplying that by a certain number of employees, that, you know, that, that becomes a fairly expensive incentive for a company. So, uh, you know, in, in our situation, I couldn't see Chorus Broadcasting do that. Ah, but it's because you're the scheduler, and you have to put the schedule together, and it's a thankless <laughs> task. And no, be... <laughs> but, but I'll, I'll use an example, and, and you're a three-headed monster, so if one of you are sick, the other two can still do the show. But uh, if, uh, say, Jeff Braun wants his vacation, mm-hmm. extra vacation day. And I do. Day, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Trust me, I know. <laughs> but we would have to, we'd yeah. have to bring somebody in to, to cover for Jeff. But here's yeah. the flip side. So first of all, we hear all the time that the, the more work-life balance you have, the more productive you're going to be at yes. work. So productivity yeah. would go up. And there's been studies, and I'm looking at one from several years ago, but it showed that smokers are costing employers $6,000 a year more than non-smokers, partly because of the time loss that they might take the breaks, but also because um, they the cost to the health care plan or the the, the the premiums you might have to add mm-hmm. or those kinds yeah. of things. And so there's a, there's another argument. I don't know. I, I remember working years ago, Global, and had a colleague, and, and it was back when there were smoke rooms. And every time you went looking for this person, that's where they were. And that's also back in the day when there's no phones. You're not on your phone. You can't reach no. them with, they can't vet scripts or look at things or answer questions. They're just sitting there reading a magazine, having a cigarette. And sure, I suppose you can smoke one and two minutes or so, but in some buildings, at 201 Portage, you're going from the 30th floor all the way down and back up. That's a 10-minute process, 12-minute process, like six or seven times a day. I don't, I've worked with a lot of smokers over the years, though I have to say, I don't think they work any less hard, and I don't think they get any less accomplished. I really don't. I mean, Jeff, what what do you think about this? No, I agree, because I used to smoke, and I don't now, and nothing else has changed except that I just sit in front of my computer (laughs) about a a little bit longer every single day, but... 
Yeah, like I, I understand when pe- a lot of people have gripes about the extra breaks that smokers might take to the point where in Japan in 2017, there was a company that decided to give its employees who don't smoke six extra vacation days. And that was triggered by an employee, a non-smoking employee who filed a complaint mm. with the company and said, why do the why do the smokers get more break time? But I, uh, I am now a vapor. I go out once every half hour and I used to smoke. And I always find that just taking that five minutes to walk away will sometimes help me be more productive because sometimes you just got to walk away mm-hmm. to try yeah. to pro- solve a problem. Oh, yeah. And yeah. as soon as I would step outside and take that first puff, bam, the idea would hit or whatever, and then I'd run back inside and I would finish the task that was that I was struggling with before. And I really do think with you, for sure, A, you're not gone. It's like two minutes, three minutes, that kind of thing, but you're on your phone. It's so different than it would have been a long time that's ago. That's so a good point. You've, you've been vaping and texting me back, good idea, bad idea, whatever, you know, the conversation might be, go away, but... It's it's still you working. Well, and Milroy, I don't know if you know any guys that worked up at, in the oil fields or not, but I know a couple of guys that went away years ago that came back smokers, and I'm like, you never smoked. It's like Mackling. It's the only way you get a break is if you actually smoke. So would it lead to narking on oh, other yeah. people because uh, you know you get jealous or, or you know, hey, he she doesn't deserve <laughs> the four days off. I caught her smoking. So the other there's day. a weird galaxy brain idea for this. So let's say everyone in the workplace stopped smoking. Would they still offer the days? If nobody was smoking and there was nobody to sort of bounce the sort of neg- negativity in quotation marks off, would they? Would you have to have the sort of sacrificial person to continue smoking to say, <laughs> look, <laughs> to say well, look, that's all I'm saying. It's like, look, look how much time is being wasted by one person smoking. Now yeah, but I, we have I think, an example. But I don't, I don't think that's the whole uh, premise of this, too. I think also it's to promote healthy, healthy lifestyle. Oh, sure. Of course. So I think it would be a badge of honor if a company could say, yeah, we gave extra time off. And guess what? We have an entire company of non-smokers that'd be pretty impressive i would wonder if there's argument that like would smokers be taking more sick days is that like part of the equation in that that because it contributes to other health issues or might make your colds worse or that kind of thing are you sick more no, i don't think i'm that's sick you. more since i quit smoking so. <laughs> i like it yeah uh, i, I guess it, what, it probably did make my colds worse but i mean i never i unless i unless i physically can't get up i'm the guy who always drags myself in no matter how sick I am. It Spreads would, it around, yep. kills the rest of us. That's right. It would make the worst workplace smell better. There's no question about that. And insurance premiums, I mean, there's a reason why. Oh, Your yeah. life insurance is less if you're a non-smoker. So an actuary and probably thousands of them have decided that if you're a smoker, you're at higher risk of certain things. And clearly science would suggest that. But we're already getting text messages and two of them already have used the word discrimination. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Uh, Damien asking, would it be considered discrimination in some way? And Mike says, I used to work for a major airline here in the city in a large maintenance hangar. Smoke breaks were common by both workers and management and as a non-smoker I'd go with them, especially <laughs> in the nicer days when challenged by my foreman why I was out there, I always answered, I was addicted to fresh air and needed some. So, like boy, Mike, let us know what you think. Should non-smokers get more vacation time? Text us, 204-780-6868. You can also weigh in on our 680CJOB Instagram story poll. We want to start this hour by focusing on a Winnipeg organization helping recovering addicts get back on their feet. It's called Morberg House. Global News Morning anchor Gabrielle Marchand has been speaking to those taking part in Morberg House's recovery education for addictions and complex trauma program. She joins us now on The Start. Well, let's just start with the idea of Morberg House because we've been talking about meth and addicts and the struggle within this community for what feels like several years now, Gabrielle. And Morberg House, for those who aren't familiar, first of all, who is it? Where is it? Yeah, it's in St. Boniface. Marion Willis is the founder. It is a 12-bed recovery treatment center for men. So essentially, people end up there after they've gone through detox and they live in a community setting. So they're all experiencing similar things, and they're essentially there to support one another. And for a lot of folks, they say this is what ultimately helps them recover successfully, because they're surrounded by people who know what they're going through, who they can then speak to about some of those struggles. So this is sort of that 
longer-term facility that many have been talking about as kind of a solution. And there's a bit of a unique program that's running at Moorburg. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, it's called REACT, or Recovery Education for Addictions and Complex Trauma. They've been running it at Moorburg House since the summer. Basically, people living at Moorburg House have daily sessions in the morning. So they get up, they spend 45 minutes doing group work, then they take a little break because it's pretty heavy, then they spend another 45 minutes. So it's, it's, it's pretty intense. Every day they're essentially spending two hours working in a group setting to look at what led them to use. So the REACT program is split into three phases. The first phase takes a month. It looks at addictions, how the brain works, and relapse prevention. Then phase two is eight weeks long. It's a deeper look at trauma. So participants can learn how to overcome it and create a healthier lifestyle. Phase three is for people who still want support going forward. They can return for classes as often as they want and as long as they need. We sat down with uh, one of the facilitators, Anita Gladu, and she calls it a reparenting of sorts. Drugs and alcohol are not the problem. It's the underlying issues. What is it that's causing somebody to drink or use drugs? We're going to unpack that that backpack full of rocks and we're going to say, okay, what was it in your in your family of origin that shaped you to how you're doing adulting today? So there's something at the core here, something in your past life, Gabrielle, uh, pain that you're hiding from, running from, masking, whatever terminology we want to use, it's trying to get down to to what's at your core as to what led you to this path down this road of addiction and, and drug use. Yeah, that's absolutely the focus of this, is really delving deep into oneself. And just a little bit of background here. The program was created by Winnipegger Tim Fletcher. It's inspired by the work of addictions experts on the trauma children can experience. We chatted with him as well. And he says, on one end, it could be that children were physically abused, but it could also be that they didn't get what they needed emotionally in their childhood. And he says that's why the classes cover everything from anger and conflict to relationships and boundaries or overcoming grief. You're learning all these life skills to, to deal with what may have been things that triggered you in the past. So he's been running daily react sessions at a Riverwood church community building for three years. He says he started that because he felt there was a gap when people leave residential treatment centers. So what typically happens is they graduate from treatment and go back to job, family, and relapse within a month. Um, So I said, I want a treatment center where they're going to be dealing with that stuff that's going to trigger some of their deepest hurts and issues so that they can now work on that um, in the day program. Gabrielle, have you spoken to any of the participants at Morberg House? Yeah, I, I went and I actually sat down through a React session. So I chatted with someone who is in phase one, and he was saying for him it's all about being patient with himself, but also looking at what really led him to where he is so he doesn't end up back there. And then I also actually sat down with someone who's in phase three. His name's Spencer Rabb, absolutely incredible guy. He's now actually moved out of Moorburg House. So he said, it's really hard because you've then left the safety and the familiarity of Moorburg House, but you still have a support system after you leave. And that's the whole idea of this. When you're out of Moorburg House and you're in sober, independent living, how do you keep yourself on track. So for him, he said he goes back to Moorburg House at least twice a week to meet with a nurse who works there. He also goes back regularly, even just to share meals with other people who live at the house. And the whole point of React Phase 3 is that you can go back for sessions as often as you want or need. It all comes down to that, that, that moment when you're triggered to use again, you have a big choice to make. Are you going to go out and use and suffer the consequences? Or are you are you going to have the courage to reach out to somebody who actually wants to help you and to pull you out of that mindset? takes a lot of strength for someone to power through that. We know relapses happen, Gabrielle, to all sorts of people with whatever addiction they might occur. Do we know the success rate of this program so far since it launched in, in the summer? Yeah, it's pretty early on, given that it takes three months to actually go through the program. So I know that Tim Fletcher had said that they have... I think he, be- I believe he said about a 55% success rate through the program. Uh, as for Morberg House, only time will tell. But I think they're feeling really encouraged by it just because they feel it's a really, as you, meant, you mentioned the word long-term solution. This is long-term for people. This isn't 
three months and you're done. This is a lifestyle. This is something you can continue to return to, a community, a family that you're building around you that's going to be with you for hopefully the rest of your life. Gabrielle, another word that jumped out before we let you go here that Spencer used is triggered. And it feels as though that that seems to be almost at the core of this entire thing. Yeah, so he said he said so many interesting things. He's just an incredible human being. But he talked about how things like even like the weekend. He said, you know, stereotypically he used to drink and weekends, that's party time. So something even like a Friday rolling around would be hard because you culturally, you know, a lot of people are going out, they're getting together, they're having drinks. And then you want to participate. So for him, he said, like on a weekend, he now has an alternative. He has a community to turn to. So it's all about looking at those things within himself, he said, that are triggers for him and addressing them, whether that's alone, working through the material or with other people working through the material, but actually addressing them rather than going out and using. Global News Morning Anchor Gabrielle Marchand joining us on 680 CJOB. More available at globalnews.ca slash Winnipeg on Morberg House. And we, before we get to Big Al's text, we had another text message on Gabrielle's story, Moorberg House. Yeah, it's an okay text. No, actually, it's a great text. Uh, Moorberg House, hit the nail on the head. Good story, guys. Finally, some facts concerning the drug issue. And when you're when you're in it and you know all about it, and this texter uh, shared with us part of his story or her story, uh, we appreciate uh, the feedback on that. It means a lot. Big Al says, smoker here, two incomes, no kids. And running the risk of sounding like a nut bar factor seven, what about lost time attributed to employees that have children? Have seen it time and time again. Oh, little Timmy is sick, has an appointment, slash hockey, slash whatever is convenient. There are likely more people with kids these days than there are smokers. Yeah, because we are all dying. But there are other sides to lost time and lost productivity. I'd carry on this rant, but I'm going for a smoke now. (laughs) It's an interesting point. We were talking about this. The UK companies giving non-smokers four extra days off per year because they're not taking breaks, they're not smoking, promoting the healthier workplace. He's saying, okay, fine. What about people with kids who leave early or call in sick? And They're all, the all non-smokers? I don't know. I don't like his point because I am a mom, but I hear his point. I do hear his point as well. There is lots of give and take, and I think maybe that's the overall point. It's like these employers who demand the sick notes after three days. Yep. Like if, if you have such a serious problem with your staff that they're they're stealing sick, day, sick days from you, you have a bigger problem than you think. And asking for a note is not going to solve it. If you look at Environment Canada's website in terms of warnings and alerts, Pretty much all of Western Canada is under a blanket of red for extreme cold warnings, Loren McNabb. And that's why I've titled this next segment, It's Cold Here, But Worse Elsewhere, Prove It. <laughs> like okay. to bring on with us now, Senior Climatologist for Environment Canada, David Phillips. Thanks for taking the time, Dave. Well, thanks for inviting me aboard, Loren. <laughs> we were looking all across Canada, and it feels like everybody is not too happy with their forecast these days. And so we'll get to Winnipeg in a moment. But I wanted to start on the West Coast, where we like to make fun of Vancouverites for their inability to deal with snow. But it hasn't been great there for them the past couple of days. No, it hasn't. I mean, think about the fact that they'll have more snow in January than Winnipeg's had so far. So, I mean, that you don't often see that. They could probably, in three days, have a year's worth of snow. And, uh, hey, they, they don't have a lot of snow-removing equipment there. And, uh, and it's, uh, of course, uh, they, they, it's difficult for them to deal with. And uh, temperatures are, you know, they, they seem balmy by, by most Canadian standards. But for them, it's still pretty, uh, pretty cold temperatures that were going to be, you know, around 5 six, seven degrees colder than uh, than normal in the afternoon. You get several days in a row with uh, freezing temperatures. It's not something that they can they can often put up with. But, hey, across the, 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 the far west, I mean, we have weather extreme cold warnings out for all of Alberta and most of Saskatchewan. Uh, a few districts in Manitoba in the northern part and also in the, in the west near Riding Mountain uh, area, a little cooler than normal because of wind chills, and many districts in uh, in. Certainly, British 
British Columbia. So it's, you know, it's, it's often, guys, that this is that cold that it sometimes just makes its way eastward. But it's, it's kind of interesting, synoptically, what's happening is you've got that cold pole sitting over Alberta, just feeding them day after day this brutally cold weather with, with uh, almost inhospitable wind chills. But in the southern part of Manitoba, you're getting a few of these weather systems that are bringing kind of a shot of precipitation, a, lot of, a little bit of snow, not as much as you're getting to the south, but enough of southwesterly air to keep that cold air pent up farther to the west. And so I think it's, I mean, it's not tropical, but I am sure you're, uh, and I warn you not to gloat too much about it, because, <laughs> hey, this sometimes can uh, can turn, turn on you. Well, we're used to it being the exact opposite, quite yes. frankly, as you know, David. So we spoke to you at the end of the year or early in the new year, and you used the term we asked you about polar vortex, and you mentioned the Siberian Express. We hear Alberta Clipper once in a while. What uh, sort of... Uh, uh, moniker would you like to give to what's afflicting Western Canada right now? <laughs> well, it's really, I guess, all of the above, in a way. I mean, it is, uh, really, there's no question about it where this where this weather is coming from. It is the polar vortex. Um, it is, and you know, guys, it's been behaving uh, uh, pretty well up to about now, uh, sitting over in Siberia, the other side of the world, and, and it's come over, the across the pole, and, um, and then it is uh, really weakening. People think, well, the polar vortex must be really strong right now. No, no. It's weak, and that allows it to not just spin like a top in the top of the world, but it actually seeps out and heads southward and and migrates to the southern part and brings its cold weather with it. We sometimes call it an Arctic pipeline, a cold pipeline, a Siberian Express. All of those those words are appropriate because we know the source region is is polar Arctic air, and it's, uh, it's filling all the nooks and crannies in in uh, in the far west, and it's hard to kick it out. It's like a, a sumo wrestler; you can't push it out. And even some of these Pacific weather systems are not enough to uh, uh, to get it out. But you know, the good news for for Alberta and Saskatchewan uh, is that it may be short lived. Uh, you know, not like last year, where it went on for week after week, the whole month from late January right through early March. Um, this one looks like we're going to see rather return to above. Uh, freezing temperatures come come the weekend in parts of of Alberta. So I think it's it's short lived uh, and but um, and we're seeing even even in and uh, Manitoba. I think your cold air is coming the next couple of days, but then a warm up and then some normal seasonable type temperatures. So I don't think you're going to be punished because your time is coming. We we think that the cool air is going to. We're just at the dead of winter right now. I think a good a good thing for Manitobans can say, well, you know what. We've weathered winter so far. We've had more snow than normal, but not as much cold. And we're at the halfway point. Every day now, guy, gets a little a little milder than the previous day because we're at that the dead of winter kind of moment, which I think is a time to celebrate. We don't have time today, but next time we have you on, David, I want to ask you about wind chill and the real feel and all this uh, yes. debate about whether or not this is an actual measurement that we should be paying attention to. Can you uh, do some homework on that and uh, I, share with me your, your, your thoughts next time we I visit? Will. You know, in fact, I'll even throw in a comment about, uh, you know, the dry cold versus the wet cold. I mean, that's something that Westerners talk about all the time. But, yay, let's do a little primer on the wind chill, what it's about, and, hey, do we measure it or just observe it, and, and what does it all mean? Senior climatologist with Environment Canada, Dave Phillips, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Mr. Phillips, thank you for the time. You're so welcome. Bye-bye. 8.13 on 680 CJOB. Maybe we should go back to the wind chill measurement of 2,000 and 2,400. Remember that? Oh, Kil- yes. What was it? Kilowatts? Kilojoules? No, that's calories. Kilopascals? Kilopascals? <laughs> Kilo, calories. Kilometers. <laughs> no Something idea. watts per square meter. I don't know. All I knew I is that remember. when it got it when it started with a two, that meant it was brutal cold. I so. forgot That's all right. about that. I, I I get it. When you get down to a temperature like tonight, because it's going to be minus twenty nine, minus thirty tonight, that's that is different than feeling like minus thirty. And then you throw the wind chill on top. There is there is a definite difference in the feeling you get when you step outside. So the temperature versus feels like is important, but it feels like every day the wind chill makes a huge difference no matter what.
Wednesday at 8.37 means it's our weekly visit with Hal Anderson. Good Hello. morning. Hello. Hi, Triple M. How are you guys? Doing great, Hal. Excellent. How are you? Good. We are least happy at the age of 47.2. Have you seen this? 47.2. And then does it go downhill from there? No. Interesting. That's the low point. It's a U. So we start out really happy. We go down like the big letter U, 47.2. And then we start going back up again when it comes to happiness. All right. According to... Well, they've done the research. The research scientists. I don't know. <laughs> the they. It actually is a study done yes. by a university. I just didn't write it down. But it's interesting. Why are we the least happy at the age of 47.2? <laughs> because it's when our aspirations fade and we accept our strengths and weaknesses. We go, well, that's it. This is what it's all about. I got it figured out. Mm. You, I wonder if it's because, like, if you think of the average lifespan, and I'll use women, it might be above 85 or 80 so you you're at the halfway point almost Maybe. where you might look back and think yeah really can't do much about the past 47 years time to look ahead basically yeah. you resign yourself to the fact that your dreams are not all going to come true and then i guess once you accept that then the you starts you start going up again and enjoying life more i don't know this is what they say i'm done I'm, I'm passing it along I like it. another on one side another so one I have, I have five years of uh misery i guess to look forward <laughs> it's to. all downhill yes. from right <laughs> here from, <laughs> yeah. from it actually while, works right. like 5.9 years of misery i think oh, you got left that's yeah right yeah. yeah okay great Looking there you go don't point forget nine. the point now <laughs> you both of you right. do you feel that like do you, you've yes. come you've come through the you yeah i think so i think i'm on the upswing yep i, I like understand 50 that. better than 40 come on guys give us something to hope for here no i did yeah. i honestly yeah, liked no. 50 better than 40 mm-hmm. i'm 55 hey I get my senior I get my senior coffee at uh, McDonald's you every do morning. Do not. I sure do. At fifty five. Read, read the small print. Fifty five. I go. Hello. I'd like my senior coffee, please. <laughs> yep. Whoa. Yes. How oh, much does absolutely. that save you? A nickel? You know, it not actually saves you maybe thirty five forty cents. Well, that yeah, up, no, it's not it? bad. Five yeah. times a week. That's a couple bucks. It is. You got to do it. You're a dad, uh, Greg. Dads, on average, spend seven hours a year hiding in the bathroom. Oh, yeah. That <laughs> That's is 100% true. Yeah. That's I, a low I, number. I'm not a dad, but I tend to believe that. Almost a quarter of dads went so far to say that the bathroom is their safe place. Yes. <laughs> Oh my! The number. Ugh, I don't want to tell gross <laughs> schools out of turn, but I can. I just know. I know. Sometimes I think there might be like a secret compartment in the bathroom that I don't know about. Like a he pushes on the wall, and then behind yeah, there is some like sort of a big party TV in there or in something. A man eh? cave yeah. Because I just there's just it right. defies logic, mm-hmm. and I, I don't just even, stop talking now, Loren. You're yeah. giving away secrets. I don't right. know if it's a dad thing or a man thing. Maybe it's my, a man thing. Because little boys, I feel like you just you know you really you really like that throne. Quite honestly. See, I spend enough time in the bathroom already. I'm not going in there to do anything else. I'm just going in to get the job done, and I'm, I'm going <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm back out of there old, again. Man. Give me those no. numbers again, Hal. What were they? Uh, seven seven on average, Dad spends seven hours a year hiding in the bathroom. Seven hours. It's a work day. I yeah. think that's a low estimate. I do too. I think it's low. What are you doing in there, Greg? You're well, not even. Tell you. You're not using it. Like you're not shaving. You're not using it. You're not showering. Like I said, the one of the best days of my life was the 15 <laughs> minutes I got after the boys were born and my first day back at work, and I went into the uh, <clears throat> the room of solitude. Yes. And uh, no kids banging at the door. No babies crying. Nothing. Hmm. It was. Yeah, it was the Do you best. have a sandwich maker in there? No sandwich. Like some, that would be gross. Some sort of grill I yeah. don't know about? No, like no, no food. He's making paninis no in the bathroom. food involved. <laughs> I feel like there's, yes, there yeah, is. That would be a line oh. crossed. <laughs> the smokers go in there to have a puff. Um, and then one, we got time for one more? Yep. Sure. Burger King has offered Harry a job, Prince Harry a job. Burger, Burger King? King? Burger King says so, you want to be more financially independent. You're entering the real world. You're breaking away from the royal family. You've been a duke for a long, to- long time. Put this crown on. Be a king and work at Burger King. Boy, they're really uh, grasping there because didn't they offer Megan and Harry at Tim Hortons, same company, mm. free coffee if Maybe they that's where they got the idea Canada. from. Yeah. So they're, they're really yeah. trying hard to associate themselves with uh, the Duke, Duke and, and Duchess. And surprisingly enough, no reaction yet from Harry. Well, so I'm thinking he ain't going to take the gig. I know that it's all tongue-in-cheek for the most part, but well, I sure. like the idea that everyone is you know feels that when they say financial independence, it looks like the rest of us when we leave home. You know, yeah. like right. Taco Bell, for example, yep. or from Brett over here, like mm. as if that's how that's going to go. Yeah. yeah. No, they're low. They're 
they're doing fine, Burger King. I don't think he needs the job. But good advert. We're talking about him, so hey, it's working, That's right? Good, good life lesson. You can learn a lot yeah. of lessons there. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Hal yeah. Anderson Afternoons. Thank you, guys. Something big is happening this weekend at RBC Convention Center. You could say something wonderful. It's the Wonderful Wedding Show. It's happening Saturday and Sunday, and we've got someone here who has been hosting at this show for over two decades. His name is Barry Kay. He's with Cherry Tree Productions, an interactive DJ entertainment company, which turns 30 this year, cherrytreeproductions.com or barryk.ca, awarded the Best DJ Entertainment Act, Manitoba, Saskatchewan, by Canadian Wedding Industry Awards. And this weekend, he's once again hosting the stage show at the Wonderful Wedding show Barry Kay good morning to you sir hey guys good morning thanks for having me back what an introduction that was that was awesome mm. so you've been hosting there for 20 years your resume is long yes thank you I've been in the business for uh, 35 years and uh, been a part of the wonderful wedding show and uh, coincidentally enough the wedding show is actually 30 years this year as well it's their 30th anniversary so what's been the difference for you in watching that inaugural wedding show 30 years ago to now what have you seen in terms of changes over those three decades well I've watched the show over the decades grow. Uh, It's the entire third floor of the RBC Convention Center. Um, I believe it was in Hall A and Hall B originally, and then in the last probably five years plus since the Convention Center had had renovated, uh, we're in the top floor. It was, it's pretty amazing. So what is the, what's the highlight for you in terms of uh, getting out and, and interacting with these brides-to-be? And how quickly do you fill up on, on a weekend like this in terms of booking weddings yourself to, to be the, the DJ, the master of ceremonies, the, the master of fun, so to speak? Well, surprisingly, uh, we get a, a, probably a, a nice handful of weddings. Um, we cater to a more higher-end, upscale-type wedding reception. Um, which includes personalizing uh, grand entrances, telling love stories, how the bride and groom met, how they fell in love, who said I love you first. And what's interesting about that is if you think about guests at a wedding, how many of them really know your story? Um, A very small percentage. So what I do is I help connect the dots so that way everyone at that reception feels like they're a part of something bigger than just being a guest coming for a free meal and dancing for a couple of hours. I think that's really key because often weddings become, oh, it was a great party and I had a really good time and let's just get the dancing started so I can get some drinks going. And that's that's for sure like part of having a great evening. but for me personally, it's the stories you might not know about that person, Absolutely. particularly because you don't always know the couple. You often are at a wedding where you know the groom or right. you know the bride. Good point. And then you learn something about that. Or it makes you like, oh, now I really know why you love this person. This guy sounds amazing. Or this girl has quite the background yeah. that I didn't know about. Now, let's take that one step further and talk about the wedding party. Same thing. They're not just random people you slap together to be in your your wedding, they are some special people in your lives, best friends, childhood friends. So we do the same thing. We do a personalized introduction where we basically, again, connect the dots so you can see, oh, I know why Loren used uh, her as her her bridesmaid or her uh, maid of honor. And it's really interesting because then guests feel a lot more comfortable going up and talking to people and interacting. And it just kind of takes the whole experience to a whole new level. So at the wonderful wedding show, there's something called the groom's lounge. So I, I'm just I picturing like the that. stereotype. Is that it's where in all the washroom? guys? Yeah, is that where the guys? That's <laughs> the washroom, and they have free cell service in there. Is this, so is this where the, all the guys go to hang out on the couch and watch football? So a few years ago, uh, I'm not sure how many. It was decided that yeah, um, the grooms come to the wedding show. And uh, Very I, I mean, willingly. I mean, today a lot of guys <laughs> like to go and watch their bride to be try on their wedding dress and shop for flowers and. <laughs> and Did you say they like yes. to? Um, but mm. a lot of grooms also, you know, like they say, "Okay, we'll see you later." <laughs> Fun. So the grooms lounge was created, uh, and it's sponsored by a, a local um, uh, suit company. Um, and what's really cool about it is we have uh, pinball machines in there, arcade games, a huge uh, TV screen. Last year, there was a Jets game on, so we had the Jets games playing in the groom's lounge. They have uh, uh, alcohol sampling and really cool things, and of course, the 
the grooms can go in there to get fitted for um, in the, for the particular company. They can get looked after there as well. It's a good concept in the sense of sometimes there are men that might not be as interested as the woman. But have we moved past that a little bit? I know decades ago that was certainly the feeling that it was the bride's day. Are, are we still? Is that still the way that goes? I, I think for some. But again, the couples that I work with and I have the opportunity to be a part of their special day, the grooms are very much involved. And in fact, when, you know, back 10, 15 years, you would meet with the bride and her mother. I will not meet with a couple unless the groom is present because I think it's important to get to know both of them. Sure. You get to know their personalities, their dynamic. Um, We have a really cool questionnaire that the bride fills out and the groom fills out separately. And it's Mm. hilarious to see each of their perspectives on how they met and fell in love. But the end of the story is always the same. They're together and it's, it's really magical because... There's some lots of humor in his side of the story. You know, what was his first impression? And you wouldn't believe some of the things that they say. In terms of the the wedding show, you've been hosting there for 20 years. So you must have some stories uh, while you've been hosting it. Anything funny sort of stick out for you? Um, yeah, um, my stage show has kind of changed and evolved over the years. Uh, I used to just go out on stage, welcome everyone, talk to talk about the sponsors and thank them and introduce the fashion show. And now I get to go and play with the crowd a little bit. So they get to see a little bit about my personality. I have some fun. We interact. And one of the things I like to do is get the crowd involved and I get them to shout out a word on how they want their wedding to feel. And um, usually, you know, we used to get the fabulous and we get fun and exciting and memorable, unforgettable. And this one uh, one groom in the crowd yelled out, cheap! And, <laughs> and what was funny about that was I was, you know, I... I not using cue cards. Everything I do has been rehearsed. I'm doing a show. And what was really interesting, I broke character to acknowledge this poor guy in the crowd who yelled out cheap. And, you know, I I made it fun for him, too, Uh, because a lot of people uh, having weddings, you know, weddings are expensive. Mm. They're on people are on budgets. Um, You know, there are ways to do things um, with a budget. You don't have to always, you know, get a second mortgage on your your new house just to have a wedding. Well, the wonderful wedding show is happening this weekend, Saturday and Sunday at RBC Convention Center. Barry Kay with Cherry Tree Productions will be Thank hosting you. the stage show. He's been there for 20 years. Cherry Tree turning 30 this year, as is the wonderful wedding show. And you can get more information on that at wonderfulweddingshow.com. Barry, thanks for coming by, man. Appreciate thanks for having visit. me. Love being with you guys. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG, that's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on CJOB. Talk soon.